0: We have, um, uh, we finished up a sermon series last week that we were in for some months, and it was uh, just spiritual practices, living a life of spiritual renewal, and I hope that was a meaningful time um, for you guys. We are taking a radical, like, pivot, okay? We're doing some standalone sermons in the next few weeks, and today we're addressing a topic, I don't know, I'm not saying this is true, it could be true. Because I looked, maybe I was just not having the right words, but this, if it's, its me. one of the very, probably first sermons you've heard, definitely the first one I've preached on a cultural topic. We, 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 last fall, if you remember, if you were here with us last fall, we did some, a series kind of addressing some, some cultural issues of the day. I felt led to kind of do that today. And the issue is actually, we're going to be looking at artificial intelligence, Maybe thinking a sermon on artificial intelligence. Yes, hopefully we'll see how this goes. Ugh. Untrodden territory. But you might be thinking like, why in the world are we talking about artificial intelligence in a church service? Uh, we'll get there. I want to first define this, okay? Um, because it's important to know why we need to talk about something like artificial intelligence. And we're going to look at, of course, Jesus today. But uh, this is a definition from about uh, uh, defining this phrase artificial intelligence it is this it is the application of mathematics and software code to teach computers will you track with us how to understand synthesize and generate knowledge in ways similar to how people do it okay AI is a computer program like any other. It runs, it takes input, it processes and, inf- and generates output. But artificial intelligence's AI's output is useful across a wide range of fields, from coding to medicine to law to even creating art. It is owned by people and controlled by people like any other technology. There's also artificial general intelligence, which takes that a step further. Uh, you know, Companies like Tesla and Boston Dynamics are are essentially trying to create, you know, robots that mimic human behavior. He mimic how we think, how we learn, how we pick things up, how we process information in our own brains, and trying to actually create an, a complete artificial version of that that can actually be in our homes to help, help us do housework, etc., and so forth. You may be thinking, this sounds like the movie I watched last week, right? Um... In the next five or seven years, these things, they are not going to be movie-like anymore. They're going to be our reality, okay? This is going to be, and I don't think this is hyperbole, this is going to be one of history's most revolutionary moments that has the potential to change everything, okay? Here's an example of what I mean by that, okay? For the first uh, 1,500 years or so of the Bible's existence, It existed because human beings copied it by hand, okay? But that profession was called a scribe. Are there any scribes, professional scribes in this room this morning? There's not. There were for thousands of years. Like they they were absolutely crucial to a society to pass down knowledge because everything was handwritten. Until this guy named Gutenberg created this press and so what happened, it was about a three-year project to handwrite a Bible. Gutenberg printed 180 in one year. All the professional scribes were no longer in business. They were out. Overnight, that 2,000-year-old profession changed and was gone forever, okay? I mean, this, this has happened, you know, um, over in, in history ever since then, right? You, you think of journeys that would take months on a horseback or boat, now reduced to only hours by airplane. I'll never forget when I was in Newark, New Jersey, on an airplane. It was a night eye. I fell asleep, and I woke up, and I was in Jerusalem, or Tel Aviv in Israel, like literally in one night across the other side of the world. You know, it's a pretty, these things have happened in history and changed history, but we're living in that time now, and it's going to be artificial intelligence and the development of it. Mr. Sundar Pitch, uh, Google's CEO, he's greatly involved in the inner workings of AI. He says this, a 10-year outlook for us. It will bring changes and alterations to almost every sphere of life. We must begin now bracing for its impact. We must learn how to adapt as a society because AI will prove to be, in his words, more profound than the discovery of fire. So what he says. Goldman Sachs just released a study that estimates by 2030, sorry, yeah, 2030, 300 million full-time jobs around the world will be replaced by AI. That's just seven years away. That's just seven years away. Just like the scribes who lost their job when the printing press was invented, we're gonna see this on a much larger scale. And maybe new jobs will be created as well. And who knows, maybe I will be out of a job because just two months ago, A church in Germany had their first total AI service. True, 300 people showed up preached by ChatGPT with a fake person on a screen. So maybe you'll be hiring ChatGPT in seven years and I'll be of the, I'm just kidding. That probably won't happen this is just one sermon we can't talk about everything but the hope you get the idea that this is going to radically change our world and we as christians need to be thinking christians like what is what does the bible say about artificial intelligence well if we travel back in time and asked any of the biblical authors they would say first off they would understand what we're saying because they speak in hebrew or greek and secondly they would have no concept of anything like artificial intelligence. No idea what we're even talking about because the Bible says nothing about artificial intelligence. So end of sermon, we're going home, thanks. Just kidding. The Bible speaks of everything we need for salvation and for knowing Jesus Christ and for following Jesus Christ, but it's not an encyclopedia of the sum total of human knowledge. But I do think there is something for us here That we need to kind of set inside of us, inside of our faith as Christians is like a foundational stone as we brace for what's coming ahead in in the next, I don't know, five years, in the next decade or so. Um, Maybe even sooner than that, some estimate even as close as three years, we may be seeing some of these things impact our world. We need to learn to read the bible and through prayer and with the help of the spirit consider there's a lot of things the bible addresses indirectly and we have to kind of do some homework to say yeah like how does the bible still be our guide even when we're facing something like artificial intelligence okay so um artificial intelligence and artificial general intelligence ai agi will have the effect and goal This is going to help us navigate today. Of taking something very human, our brain, how we think, how we learn, how we write, and so forth, and essentially digitize this process, create an artificial version of it with the goal that it can actually improve us. Okay? The goal that it can actually improve us as, as people, improve our conditions as a society, And it will change us it's not necessarily recreating humanity but taking what is already there and trying to artificially improve upon it so here's a question that we're going to answer or try to answer this morning is are we going to lose our humanity to artificial intelligence you ever thought about the idea of losing your humanity is that in the bible anywhere anybody in the bible ever lose their humanity yes We're going to look at that this morning. It may prove to be a really helpful guide for us. Or maybe another question. Are we going to lose God's design for humanity by trying to improve upon it? How do we as image bearers for God stay human, okay, throughout this next stage of, I don't know, civilization, technological progress? Or maybe we can just sum it up and say, what does it mean to be a human being, Like the most basic question that almost feels silly to ask, but I think we need to ask it. What does it mean to be a human being? And how do we cling to our humanity in the ever-changing world? All right, so we're going to begin with Jesus. And this is why. What is a quiz, pop quiz. What was Jesus' favorite title for himself? Son of man, look at these Bible nerds up here. All right. I like Bible nerds. Woohoo. That's right. Son of man. It was not Christ. Okay. He, he never called himself Christ. Indirectly, kind of said yes. But whenever he was pushed to call himself the Christ, he deflected and called himself the Son of Man. What does that phrase mean, the Son of Man? It is found in the book of Job, Ezekiel, the Psalms. We read it this morning in Psalm 8. And it's really a reference to um, just a human. It just means a human being. Okay? Son of man just means the human. So Jesus' favorite title for himself was Jesus the human. Sounds strange coming off our tongues, but that was his choice. And an example here comes out of Matthew twenty six. Uh we'll read this behind us here. This was when he was arrested in court before his um, accusers here, and he, he remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. One of the few times he admits to it publicly. He doesn't say the word Christ, but you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is his judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Why would Jesus call himself the human? He's quoting the Bible. He's quoting Daniel 7. And it's found within a vision Daniel had when he was daydreaming, taking a nap on his bed one day. Okay, so we're going to spend some time looking at this vision this morning, but I think that we need to learn to cling to Jesus as the Son of Man. Of course, he's our Christ, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, but as we venture into this unknown kind of world, um, maybe Brave New World as Huxley would call it, we could say, Jesus, he's our Christ, but he's also, he's the person, the human, the son of man. Maybe we need to learn to cling to that to help ground us as we move forward. So yeah, rightly we could say, do you know Jesus the human? Okay, sounds strange, but that's what it is. So Daniel chapter seven, let's look into this because what we're gonna see is that um, this world needed a human, like almost like capital T, like the human human to, to rescue us and to restore us and bring order to this world and empower us in order that we may be the human beings that God designed us to be as image pairers that we see in Genesis 1, his precious creation that he declared very good. So here's the setup of Daniel chapter 7. The prophet Daniel, he lived much of his life Um, as an administrative executive essentially he was kind of plucked out of the promised land from his people in exile and placed um, as one of the the smarter of the crew um, that came out of Israel and he was placed kind of in the administrative courts of the kingdom of Babylon okay he had access to uh, Nebuchadnezzar himself um, he was a leader, he was a prophet, he had lots of dreams, and he was a, an extremely wise guy He could also interpret dreams, okay? So one day, he was chilling in his room, taking a nap, maybe daydreaming, okay? And we're going to, on the slides behind us, we can read this together, we're going to see what happens. He says, in my vision at night, I looked. And there before me were the four winds of heaven turning up the great sea four great beasts each different from the others came up out of the sea the first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it I want you to pay attention as you're reading about these beasts pay attention to the human quality it matters okay the mind of a human was given to it as it stood on its two feet like a human And there was before me a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked. And there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying, frightening, and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims, trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there came before me. There before me was another horn, a little horn, who came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. This is a word of the Lord. There's an interpretation of this dream in the last half of that chapter that you can read in your own. We're not going to dig into it, but in essence, these, these beasts. They do represent actual kingdoms, okay? But we're not going to go into that sermon today. I want to look at closely how these kingdoms are portrayed in this vision, because they're going to help us this morning. So if there's any comic book nerds out there, this is how we can understand these beasts. They're like reverse X-Men, okay? They're like mutants, But unlike, you know, maybe the X-Men characters having like animal-like kind of qualities, it's like animals having human-like qualities. It's like in reverse. That makes sense. Is there any comic book? There we go. There's one. Always count on you. Thank you. Thank you. So the first beast was a flying lion with wings. It's a mutant, right? Who loses its wings and begins to stand upright while having the mind of a human. It's a very interesting picture. Okay, it's similar to the third beast. The fourth, be- the fourth beast is unlike all the rest. And he was said to have the eyes of a human and a boastful mouth. But they all have something in common, which is a, a human characteristic that we're going to look at. Is that they were ruling and they had dominion. They were ruling and had dominion. Now how are they ruling and having dominion? Violence. They found the bear and there was ribs hanging out of his mouth, right? If you ever ran to a bear and it looked at you and there was like ribs with like blood dripping, like pretty horrifying picture. Like I'm going to run the other way, right? Um, The fourth and terrifying beast that said it trampled everything underfoot, crushed its victims, trampled everything, okay? These beasts were ruling, but ruling corruptly, ruling wickedly and very sinfully Now these mutant beasts, they do not reflect the kind of animals God created in Genesis chapter 1, but they're ruling like humans were told to do in Genesis chapter 1. So these beasts are not ruling like God or even ruling as his image bearers, but they're ruling corruptly as these like mutants, okay? The first thing we need to consider about what it means to be human this morning is understanding according to Genesis chapter 1, who are we as people? Who are we by God's design as image bearers of him? This command to rule and have dominion was first given to us. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 27. Let us make mankind in our own image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky over livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed him and said, be fruitful. Increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. They were to rule like God and rule beneath God's rule as his stewards. But they were not to rule as God. It's a very distinct, important distinction. They were not to rule as little gods. To be human is to bear the mark of God, but not to be God. They will learn to live as the most powerful and intelligent creatures on earth with love, wisdom, truth, beauty, and justice, because those are the things that God is. And when we start living it out that way and, and having dominion in this world through the things that, that describe who God is, we start tapping into our humanity and learning what it means to be human in this world. But when our humanity is corrupted, sin is found. And it's no coincidence that in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan was present, he was not there as a human being, he was there as a beast is a serpent as a serpent who when he tempted adam and eve he exercised authority over them and they listened to him and they obeyed him but who has authority over the beasts we do it was a whole backwards scenario adam and eve have had they had all the authority to say no you serpent i have authority over you you have no right to tell me anything of what to do but that beast ruled and had dominion over the people, and that is when things went wrong. We have also this this fascinating story that kind of shows, like this this is the path when we lose our humanity is, the Bible kind of describes things as animal-like. We become like less than human, become more like the animals that he made. This actually happened to somebody who lost their humanity and became animal-like, fascinating story, It's found in Daniel, just two chapters before, a few chapters before, seven, and it's the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. This is King of Babylon, okay? This is the the guy who invaded um, uh, uh, Judah and um, exiled all the people out of there, and at the height of his kingdom, he's like walking on his porch, okay? It's like his white house, his palace, you know? He's looking around, and he just sees all that he's accomplished. He's, in those days, you could say he was literally ruling the world. All right? That's what he says. Is this not, should be behind me here, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Is this not the great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Not the right words to say, right? As he spoke those things out, this is what happened. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. He lost his humanity. He lost his humanity because of his pride, because of his arrogance. He was robbed of his humanity. He pushed the boundaries and limits of his humanity, essentially thinking of himself as God, and he found himself diminished to an animal-like state. He tried to essentially do better than God's design of people. And look at what happened to him. So there's something to learn here before we move on, okay? That, number one, it is possible to be human but to lose your humanity. Like, that's a thing in the Bible, and it's deeply associated with corruption, with power, with arrogance, with pride. All those things that, that, that come that are temptations for us, it can diminish and rob us of our humanity. Even in small ways, right? If you find yourself getting angry over small things and you, you kind of lose control over something, so you get angry in order to get that thing that thing under control once again and you try to exercise authority but you're doing so and they just and it just a a more vile just way that is trying to leverage your own power or the sound of your the, the loudness of your own voice to get your own way like even in small things like that you're you're losing touch with your humanity when you give in to that that's not God's way Right? Those are things you may see like on safaris in, in Africa but the animals, right, that are a bit more wild on how they interact with each other. And this is biblical kind of imagery here, right? I mean, when Cain, after he killed his brother, but um, before he killed his brother, excuse me, um, God told him, he said, you know, sin is crouching at your door like an animal and its desires to rule over you. But that sin, that's a beast. No, you can rule over it what God said. You can master that. You can rule over that. This has been, this is a common thread in scripture. So this is the issue with all the kingdoms ruling this world in Daniel's vision, right? um, That we saw those beasts. Nebuchadnezzar was a living example of one of them. They were ruling not as humans, image-bearing humans, but like beasts. They needed a truly human ruler, one who was actually exercising rule and dominion according to God's design and not in corruption, sin, or injustice. Okay, two-minute break. How we doing? You tracking so far? This is not a normal sermon on my end. I'm aware of that. You're not going to hear someone like this often. We guys still here? Okay, great. Thank you for your patience with me. I felt kind of compelled to preach this, so I don't know. All right, Daniel 7. Continue on in the vision. As I looked, thrones were set in place. This is right after the beast's. In the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. His wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was coming and flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand, that's one million, stood before him. The court was seated, the books were opened, and I continued to watch because of the boastful words. The horn was speaking on that fourth beast. I kept looking until that beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. So in this picture, we see God sitting in, in what we can call his divine counsel. There's a million people or uh, uh, beings surrounding him and he's on this chair. The chair's on fire, which is pretty cool, I guess pretty crazy image of God sitting on a chair of fire and there's a river of fire coming out and it's like judgments coming out of his throne and the beast is aware of this and it starts like speaking against the one who is seated the most high ancient of days and then as he's speaking that beast is slain and destroyed and thrown into That lake of fire, that river of fire of judgment. In verse 13, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, like he's coming out of the earth. He's coming on the clouds of heaven out of the earth after the beast was slain. Maybe he was the one who slayed the beast. You guys tracking with us? He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority Think of Genesis 1, the authority that we have, this son of man, this human was given authority. The authority of the beasts had now belonged to this son of man. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is no ordinary human, right? Right? This is no ordinary human. He is worshiped and he is given sovereign rule and he was invited to the very presence of God and everybody else bowed to him. He received God's approval and his seal and he is ruling as God rules, just as humans were designed to do, but we failed. And he shows himself as the God man, the man who had godlike qualities but also was clearly a human being. And he overthrew this beast in ways that we can never obviously have done. So we've established the possibility so far of losing our humanity, and now we're going to look at the Son of Man, this, this human, because uh, this is Jesus' image. He, he drew it from that passage we just read, the Son of Man coming on the clouds. He quoted that, as he said before, the Pharisees. And judgment that was in his mind he's the beast slayer he's the guy who is on to slay that fourth beast and come up on the clouds of heaven the human being who will do so so as Adam and Eve and I were designed to live this son of man did so perfectly he you can we can say that he, he lived the true human life he was a truly human one whose humanity was never diminished because of sin or corruption he was not like Nebuchadnezzar, who lost his humanity and who indulged in arrogance. So, how did Jesus live his life? And this is where we're going to kind of close here. Okay, I want to close an exhortation about this Son of Man that I think we can actually start living out. So, return to the conversation of AI. Okay. We see that we've established you can lose your humanity. We've established these, these beasts that were ruling in this world that had human-like qualities, but weren't, weren't actually human at all. And we see the son of man who, was, who slayed those beasts, and we see him coming in the clouds of heaven. Um, so if we look at AI, look at this idea of artificially creating a version of human intelligence that is not human, um, how do we maintain our humanity? Okay, how do we maintain our humanity? Let's look to this son of man. And I, I wrestle with this. I had all these things listed that had like sermon part two after this. And I'm like, I can't preach for four hours. I mean, maybe I would like to, but I can't do that. So I was like, Lord, how do I sum this up? Like what makes a distinction in our life between being human? And if we're surrounded by intelligence that does human-like things that are not human, like what, what will be the distinction here, Right? Um, What will be the distinction? The Old Testament has given us distinctions of human and non-human and, you know, quasi-human qualities that aren't human, but how do we make that distinction going forward? And I think it was just so simple. It was just right there. And it's a matter of asking a question, how, how did Jesus slay the beast? Right? How did he slay the beast? Now, usually warriors would use swords and go and, you know, win their battle, but Jesus slayed the beast by the cross. Or we can say he began slaying the beast by the cross, right? Because the war is won, but the battles aren't over, right? He began slaying this beast by his own death. He reversed sin and death by his own death. The power of the beast... Metaphorically speaking, right, was, and of all the beasts, was sin. It was injustice. It was um, uh, corruption. It was wickedness. But Jesus reversed those things by his own death and offered forgiveness to us because he paid for even our own sin on the cross. And that is how the beast lost his power, by Jesus absorbing All all of our sin and all the wickedness on his own shoulders and he paid for it all and he reverses it by his own death. But what happens is that way of his death, he invites us to live as a way of life. Luke nine twenty three. he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. I think the answer to maintain our humanity is to live a cross-shaped life, a life that is actually shaped by the love of God that pushes you and I to serve others and love others in such a way that maybe we get nothing in return for The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, Mark 10, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The distinctive life of a follower of Jesus will always be marked by the cross. It will always be marked by the cross. The Son of Man showed us how to be a Son of Man by telling us, walk around with the cross. Bear it as the shape and way of your own life because uh, show people his death for them through your own love for them, as you tell them about his death, show them the power of his sacrificial love. Serve them, even more so um, than yourself. Live for the glory of God and for the sake of others. That's the way of the cross, and that's the, the human life in this broken world. Because the reality is, AI is not created to be cross-shaped. It's not created with these values in mind. Meaning, it will not be directly for the glory of God that it, it exists, It will not be for the sake of others necessarily that it exists. AI, in a way, is coming to be served and to serve you as an individual. I'm afraid that AI just may amplify the worst parts of us as it tries to improve upon the best parts of us. One thing that's already happening is it's driving us, even now, more apart from one another. I think we're more polarized as a society because we just don't talk to each other. We don't spend time with each other. We don't know our neighbors' names as we should. And not to be overly cheesy, but like we don't have enough actual FaceTime with people, like, you know, FaceTime. Everything is just digitized communication. We can only anticipate that as AI grows, we're going to go relationally and physically more and more apart from each other. But to maintain our humanity, I think, is simple. We need to direct all of our life for the glory and for the love of God and to love others as Christ did. And so as Christians, as we embark forward on this, I want to be, I think we need to be known as people who are people people. Does that make sense? We need to be the ones in our world who are still people people. Like we are with people when Artificial intelligence in our digital media world just continues to give us more ways to talk to each other by never being with each other. More ways to serve each other by never actually physically being there to serve each other. More ways to communicate without ever actually communicating with each other face to face. The reality is we we need to make sure that the values of our church, the values of our lives, of our families, is directed towards the thing that Jesus valued which is God and people. Jesus died for people, he did not die for an artificial version of ourself. So we need to make sure that our heart and time and energy and efforts then should reflect his and our time and energy and efforts should be bound to the very people that he died for, the people that he is inviting to know him, to have a relationship with him and to resist any kind of uh, uh, oncoming digital wave, artificial intelligence wave that may just pull us farther and farther apart from each other. So two application points that will be something I think we can live out today, and I can call our worship team forward at this point. Have you already adapted a life that is more separate from people than not? Because so a lot of these realities are like now. Like, Do you already have a life that is more separate from people than not? Okay, do you spend more time on, I mean, there's all kinds of versions of artificial intelligence now. I mean, Google is AI in many ways. Do you spend more time on your devices and things than you do with people? Because it's only going to get worse as time moves forward. Are your connections with people more digital than physical? Number two, I think this is a way we we, we cling to our humanity here. When is the last time you sacrificially served someone and not to your own benefit and to the point that it was costly for you. Because such an action is unreasonable. Such an action um, uh, dispels any kind of theory of evolution that says we just kind of evolved for the sake of you know, our own uh, survival. Um, there's something very alien and different that says, why would you love somebody and, and, and sacrifice something for somebody else when you get no benefit? That makes no sense. So why would you do that? It's because that kind of love is from heaven. That kind of love comes from Christ. And when it's infused into our life, we discover that we are carrying around. We're living out that image-bearing quality that we have as human beings. When we love somebody, even to the point where it doesn't bring any benefit to ourself. I think if we lived in that cross-shaped life going forward, regardless of what happens with artificial intelligence, There's going to be a distinction from us as Christians that AI will never quite be able to mimic because we have souls and we have been infused with the love of Christ in a way that is unreasonable to the patterns of this world, but extremely reasonable to the kingdom of Christ. But this can start now with us, church. This can start now with us.